evening and welcome to Football Bloody Hell. Well, we've got Dave Hilda Pryor. We've got Ricky Hyatt, direct from Old Trafford. We've got me and Tom White's join us as well. First of all, let's say hello to everybody that's here. Um, Hilda, late on parade. That's why we're late tonight. Hello, Hilda. Good stuff. <laughs> um, as for Rick, well, like me, he suffered last night, but he was actually there, and we'll come on to that in a minute. Evening, Rick. Evening. Um, <laughs> poor old Tommy's here with him, but he's got the dreaded COVID, so we have to make allowances if he breaks down... Uh, you know, halfway through the session or something. We'll see how things go anyway. All right, Tommy, happy new year to you, mate. Happy new year to you all. Thank you very much. So, good evening, everybody out there. Happy new year to you lot as well. What a night last night. I'm afraid it's not a good new year at all. Um, Rick was there. I bet you wish you'd stayed home, didn't you, Don't mate? blame me. I'm not blaming Don't you. Don't blame me. I'm, I'm just I'm just looking to you to give me a, a, a an on-the-spot report, really. What do you reckon? Uh, however bad United looked on the telly, in the flesh, they were worse. Oh, great. Oh, what's yeah. he, bad as that, though. Right. Just awful. Absolutely clueless, toothless. Any other less you like. I mean, don't get me wrong. Wolves deserved the win. But if I had to watch Wolves every week, I'd give up. <laughs> they, were just t- they were tedious. And they were just the best, better of, of two very poor teams, I thought, from what I saw. Mm. Well, it certainly looked poor on the telly, that's for sure. What did you think, Tommy? Yeah, I agree. I've, in, in all honesty, I've, I, I get offered mainland tickets quite a bit by a local guy in Bristol and I just can't go at the moment, you know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go if they gave me the tickets for nothing. It's too far a journey. It's not good to watch, is it? I mean, I know there's a few players out and things, but he, just, he just hasn't moved things on at all, has he? I'm not, I'm not trying to be too pessimistic, but if Forest footballing goes as a spectacle, we've gone backwards under him. Mm. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's just so frustrating. Um, Going backwards, going back, say they're going backwards. That probably explains why Phil Jones was the best player in the United shirt. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. Obviously, everyone's been kind of saying that. And in fairness, it's one of those. A couple of times I was looking at him in more so in the first half, and I thought 
he looked a little bit out, out of position once or twice, but it didn't didn't get found out. There's a couple of times where he looked like he was really struggling uh, for breath, but um, got away with it. And there's, there's that the one clearance they show quite often where he sort of slides across and gets it. It's again, it's small margins, isn't it? If that lad gets three inches in front of him and toes it in, they're all blaming him. And mm. then you know, it's just madness, really. How such fine margins can can determine whether it's you know, good performance or bad performance. But yeah, fair play to him. I've always liked him to a degree, but, um, you know, you don't become a bad player overnight. You, you can't go from being, you know, an England national and a regular to, to rubbish. Um, but yeah, it'd be interesting now to see if anyone does uh, take a punt on him. Your, your volume's gone funny, Tom. Oh, is it? Sorry. That's better. Okay. That's better. Sorry, but, but Rick, looking at it from from a, a United standpoint, we'll come on to you in a minute, Hilda. Yeah. Don't worry, mate. This is your punishment for being Look at late. Him. He's chomping at the bit. He's late to get here, and now he's desperate to put the boot in. Yeah, sit down, Hilda. Yeah, <laughs> basically sit down. Um, if you had to put your finger on it, Rick, though, I mean, is it the shape? Is it the players just not trying? What, what do you what do you put it down to? I mean, can you can you find a reason? I think there's an awful lot of truth in what uh, Roy Keane said back when Ollie was in charge. That um, there's there's nothing. They're a bunch of bluffers. Mm. There's no there's no heart to them. You look at them yesterday. If if I see Juan Bissaka in a United shirt again, I'll hope that he's watching the game and he's just bought it from the club shop because he was shocking, mm. absolutely shocking. He's got he's, he's got not enough on the ball, is he? No, he went to United no. with the people saying that he could. He was one of the best one-on-one -on -one defenders and tacklers, but he couldn't yeah. go forward. Now he can't even do that. He's regressed. He's got worse, and he's not the only one. And it, Phil, Phil Jones is an upgrade on Harry Maguire. Harry, Harry Maguire was. I don't think there was anybody watching the game yesterday that was sorry he wasn't playing. Hmm. It was. We paid seventy million for him. <laughs> And gave him the captaincy. Why did he give a bloke who's just come into the club the captaincy? I would like to see the Harry Maguire, who was outstanding at Hull and outstanding at Leicester and has played well for England. But as soon as he puts a United shirt on, especially this season, he's, he's, he's awful. Absolutely awful. And there's no creativity and there's no, there's no plan to it. You've, you've got Cavani and Ronaldo up front, who are two outstanding front place and you don't get a ball into it there's nothing going on it is but surely it's, that's got to be the, that's got to be the shape then isn't it if, if they're not getting the ball into yeah. the front man i mean they've got to change it the thing is if you play 4-2-2-2 it all depends on the fullbacks giving you width and those the two there at the moment aren't up to it and mm. if kieran kieran trippier is now going to take the the, the dirty money and go to Newcastle after having been linked with United for so long. United, yeah. United could really do with him at the moment. Somebody mm. who can put a decent ball in. It's just, it's shocking to see. Because when you watch, I was in the, the East East stand, so I was behind one of the goals. And when you, you can see the movement of everybody more than you see it when you, when you watch it on the telly, yeah. you know, you've got the director's cuts and everything's close-ups and whatever. Yeah. But when you see the, the whole pitch and you can see the movement, it's embarrassing. Well, you can it watch really people off the right. ball. You can, you can watch people off the ball, can't you, yeah. rather than follow the ball. Like, and that's what I've said in the past about Bailly 
as a centre-back, he's an absolute disgrace. What If you watch him off the ball during a game, he's yep. walking out of defence, keeping everyone 10, 15 yards on side. He's, like, he's just strolling around. It's, it is, it's unreal, really. And obviously, you know, he, he ends up sometimes making up for things. But like you said there, sometimes when you're in the stand, you can watch what you want to watch rather than yeah. what he's showing you. You see different things. And I've, I've always sort of like thought that the major, there wasn't, that the, the um, midfield wasn't as major an issue as everybody's been making out. But seeing it live, it's just, even like Martinho's goal, who was there? Who was, who was, who was picking him up? Who was stopping him getting a shot off? There was enough bodies there. Rob said after the game, there are enough bodies in the box. Nobody went to him. And it's the same when United attack. There's nobody just outside the box. Like, McTominay against Burnley was the exception, but in that position, there's never anybody there. They were just, I, I tell you what, they they would be lucky to get out of get out of the championship if they got relegated playing like that. I it's think too much for, for me, for me as well, when you look through the squad though, and I always sort of judge things by this, you know, who who should who's Matic is not good enough anymore for the Premier League, I don't think. No. At all. Nowhere near. McTominay Sometimes is sometimes is at least he's got a bit of legs, but he needs better footballers around him. Um, you know, Greenwood has been poor this season. Sancho's still finding his feet. It's uh, you know, and then you've got you know James, and it's just it's dire. I mean, I think there's, I mean, we got Villa coming up back to back. I mean, I'd have to fancy Villa at the moment. I'd have, I'd rather have some of their players than the main, those players we've just mentioned. By a by some stretch, it's just yeah. it's just the squad's just not good enough. And I, I I'm not saying that now because of this I said this in work, you know, back in God, know, September October. I said we've signed Varane, who I like, and obviously he's struggled and he hasn't looked very good yet. In fairness, but I do like him; he will come good. But you look around the squad; it's, it's still three or four or five good players off being where it needs to be. They don't look like they care. There's something wrong. It can't. It wasn't Ollie because it's been shown now. It wasn't bloody Ollie. It's there's some attitude thing or lack of heart or lack of something. There's no cohesion in that squad, and they're just awful, absolutely awful. Come on, then, Elder, get in there now. Now's your chance. No, I mean, there's not really too much more to add to, to what you've already said because I mean, from the outside looking in, like uh, Tom just touched on that it, it just doesn't seem like it's uh, it's that there's good enough depth there. But when you actually look at the players that they've got, and Rick's just touched on it as well, that these players are good players. But recently, what they then join Manchester United and something happens and they're just not what they signed. We talk a lot about players that have... Um, um, use As uh, Fulham to an example, um, where they brought in loads of players um, all in one time, and people thought, "Oh, this is either going to work or it's not going to work." And then they blamed the transfers because the transfers simply didn't work. But if you actually looked at who they brought in, they were actually good players at their clubs previously. But when they joined the club, they, they, it then didn't work for whatever reason. And Manchester United in the last. 18 months, two years, seem to have got themselves into this situation where they're buying players on merit, but as soon as they get into the United dressing room and they're out on the pitch, it's not the same player. Like, 
Rick said, Wan Bissaka, he was being touted as one of the one of the best right backs in the country, certainly defensively. Went to mm. Manchester United as a well-hyped player, and then, like Rick said, he seems to have gone backwards. Maguire was a revelation at Hull and did really good things at Leicester City into pushing them on after that they had. Um, won the title and he had to change the squad around a bit more. It's gone into United, big money, and for whatever reason, it just hasn't hasn't worked. And then by giving him the captaincy, they probably hoped that it would have the adverse effect and it would kind of kick him on. But if anything, it sort of held him back. Um, it just for whatever reason isn't working. And we touched on it as well last week, week before possibly, about where Manchester United are going to finish. I still don't think we've really seen enough of Ralph and United to really know whether this this is going to work or it isn't. But you're, you're probably going to be around four, fifth, six. But it's just a case of what order you're probably going to finish in. But I can understand um, from your boys' perspective that it must be extremely frustrating because... I didn't see the game yesterday. I only saw the highlights, but correct me if I'm wrong, Rick, but other than the Fernandez chance that he really should have scored, that he smashed off the bar, yeah. there didn't seem too much left? No, there was nothing else. Absolutely nothing else there's, at all. A lot of talk about Ronaldo being a problem, causing problems in the dressing room, but that display last night surely puts that to a stop because that was the same as we had when, when Ollie was there and Ronaldo wasn't there then. I mean, this is so, it's, so it's nothing to do with Ronaldo. Intrinsically wrong. Mm, definitely. I just just a, a, on a on a wider sort of United thing, rather than specifically what's going going wrong at the moment. Uh, New Year's Eve, Sir Alex's 80th birthday, and th- as much as he is has been the greatest manager in the English game, a lot of this is falls on his doorstep because of the argument he had with the Coolmore racing people over Rock the Gibraltar. breeding rights to the Rock of Gibraltar, which let man, they sold their shares to the Glazers. That enabled the Glazers to manufacture the takeover that they've got. And since then, the club has gone has gradually eroded. And I, I'll tell you something else. Who united the bit of biggest miss for United that they haven't replaced is David Gill. David Gill was the chairman and he oversaw the transfers, oversaw everything off the field at United. And you don't realise how good someone is at a job until you get an incompetent buffoon like Ed Woodward coming, who's who's going to be taken over by Richard Arnold, who coincidentally uh, has got the job, must have got it on merit, not the fact that he was at university with Ed Woodward. It's jobs for the boys and they're not up to it and they're incompetent. What for transfers, because we've touched on the biggest problem for United has been that the players that they've identified are doing really well at their current clubs. And, you know, on paper, they're good signings. But, you know, you could identify some really good transfers in the future, put the money in and invest it in the squad. But then once they turn up on that old track of pitch, it might not happen for whatever reason. And if you get stuck into that spiral, it doesn't matter who you identify. I don't I don't quite know how you stop that from stop that from happening. It's really bizarre. I'd it's, read it's somewhere that, that Ralph was supposed to be quite a disciplinarian. Well, you know, judging by his sort of 
his demeanour when he's on the TV and, and uh, when he discusses it with the press afterwards, he sounds very calm, very collected, but not exactly what I'd call a disciplinarian. And, it, and if it's a question of discipline in the box, in, in the uh, sorry, in the box, in the changing room, well, then it's about time he stamped on it and got rid of whoever's causing all the dra- grief in there because there must be somebody or something. Something's not right. Something isn't right within that changing room and within the playing side of, of, of the club. Because like we keep saying, they're good players, hmm. but there's something wrong and it's, it's just not I mean, working. I think a large part of it is um, is the, obviously the formation and getting the blend right. Um, you know, having enough legs and combativeness in midfield and then enough decent playmakers that's going to link up. I mean, it's, it, for me, Matic shouldn't be starting any more games. He's not a future man United. Um, you know, I'd rather, you know, someone like that Ben Garner or someone young, like certainly Van der Beek gets get given a, a good, good run of games or something and look for some people that, you know, we, we could build something off of. I mean, Matic is just a, a no for me straight away. Mm. Um and obviously he's trying this four, two, two slightly widening, two up front again. And, you know, you might have to bite the bullet there and just say you ain't got the players for it at the moment or it's not working and, you know, try something else different. But like um, Rick was saying then, they had Ronaldo and Cavani up front, yet we're playing like four or five short passes in midfield before we look to go forward. And, you know, you've got those two up front. Like you said, you want to get the ball into them move up the pitch and then get the ball back off of them and, and start really press, pressing, sorry, pushing yourself further up the pitch. And we're playing four or five short little passes and, you know, giving them a, their defence a chance to get back. And um, we're not getting the ball into the front men. Then what's happening? Cavani's coming deeper and deeper because when you leave two up front, you know, sometimes that's hard to win the ball back. So then they end up dropping deeper to come and help midfield out. And then, you know, you're finding Cavani's 15 yards outside his own penalty area getting the ball and trying to pass it sideways to, to be able to get back up front. It's just it's just not working. Um, I, I lost count of the number of times Cavani played the ball backwards. And and he was he Every was time. in a he was in a position where he wasn't up front, <coughs> strictly speaking, he was roughly halfway between the halfway line yeah. and the penalty area and he was pushing it backwards towards the halfway line all the time. Well what the hell was he doing that for? I mean he should be further yeah. up front. One, one thing that I've noticed over the last sort of uh, few months, towards the end of Ollie's reign, remember when Ollie took over and then he got United third and he got United second, and people were saying, oh, United can only play one way. They can just play counter-attacking. So it seems like he's taken that, when he was manager, he took that on board and decided that, oh, no, United must be able to play multifaceted. You look at that team that went out yesterday, take Greenwood and Sancho out of it, that's got to be the slowest yeah. outfield yeah. players that United have yeah. ever played. They certainly yeah. weren't going to play on the counter-attack. No. Because no, there was nothing not there. There was No pace. Absolutely no pace at all. And it was yeah. static. It was... Yeah. I don't know. I wasn't impressed. And, it, might have and, even, and even though uh, Greenwood and Sancho have a bit of pace, without being disrespectful, they don't really know what to do with it. They still want to... You know, it's like they get excited when a player gets the ball. They, they want to just get it off of them in the most, the quickest fashion, rather than where should I want to receive the ball? So shall I make a forward run? Shall I look to make a run in behind and create some space? They just want to get the ball and then do a bit of trickery on it. And that's sometimes not, it's not what you want, you know. So sometimes a little dink over the top puts you clean through, a little through ball. 
down the side of someone, you know, make make a run to get in behind. Don't come short to get the ball, to take 35 touches, to go nowhere, to go back to Wambasaka. Do you know what I mean? It's, that's, for me, that's part of the issue. There's, there's no real thought processes in how we're... How, the, the aim of the flipping game is to score goals. Do you know what I mean? Let's get. We need to get forward. We need to get in behind their defence and we need to go forward and score goals. Not have 35 touches on the ball, go nowhere and then sprint off in, in, a, in a direction for someone else to come in your place. It's Having just it's that, frustrating. Tom, from, from your boys' perspective, all being fans of the club, do you, are you concerned in terms of you don't think... You know, there's a danger you won't get into Europe at all. How how are you feeling as the season as a whole at the moment? Are you worried or or more hopeful that it will get better, but maybe not confident? <laughs> I would well, I would moment we're nine points away from guaranteeing safety, and I would I would be concerned about that first up. United aren't going to change at the moment. They're a bunch of bluffers. Just on a slight, uh, slight news update, uh, Stephen has just signed Ed Upson from Newport. Hmm. Wow. Interesting. He's moving about a bit, isn't he, is Ed? Yeah. Breaking news two days late. Valley's radio. But, yeah, AD, are, are you concerned? I know you're the eternal optimist when it comes to Manchester United, but have you got your own sort of scepticisms on whether, you know, United will be where you want them to be come the end of the season? Well, yeah, I am the eternal optimist and I I dream of seeing something sensible. But, it's, it's, you know, you just get to a point where you get ground down in that we've had so many poor... In the last four games, we've had Norwich, we've had Newcastle and we've had uh, Wolves. And they've all been absolutely dire. And we uh, we had Burn, Burnley in between. Well, Burnley are sort of almost cannon fodder at the moment, um, and we didn't look too bad against Burnley. But the way things are going at the moment, I can't really see them qualifying for the UEFA Cup either. Will I? And as for the thought of United playing in this conference thing, whatever it's called, I mean that's just horrendous. So, um, but the kids out. Well, yeah. What about this Hannibal bloke? Bring him in. He's supposed to be really good. And but I mean we've let Mengi go out on on um, on loan now to Birmingham for a start. He would have been one I would have thought they could have tried as well. You know you, you've got and to be... Ethan Laird as well. Ethan Laird yeah. just, just signed for Bournemouth, isn't he? Mm. Yeah, and he yeah. is an outstanding. He's the reason that Brandon Williams moved to left back was because he couldn't get in the under 23s because Ethan Laird was playing right back and playing so well. Well, get him in because mm. right back at the moment is there for the taking. It's not. The thing is, it's, it's bad enough watching it on, on, on TV and it wasn't, I must admit, it wasn't until I went up yesterday and saw that and saw it live and it's it's shocking. Mm. I used to go up all the time and see United during the late 90s, early 2000s. I, I was up at Old Trafford every week and I tell you what, I would wait, that's what, 20 years ago, I would happily wait another 20 years to go up and see something like that again. That was awful mm. at any level. That was awful. Well, talking of awful, I think Mane was awful oh. after six seconds and should have been red-carded straight away. I thought that was oh, a God. shocking um, referee. <laughs> he might as well not have been there. Absolutely diabolical, I thought that was. That's not just because of Liverpool. It was just looking at it from a football's point of view. No, it was. it was. it was a red card. I can't. 
defend that. Um, obviously, I, I didn't I didn't see the first half because I was at Yeovil. I've only seen the I've seen the highlights of it. Um, so I saw a lot of talk about it before I actually saw the image. Okay, maybe you'll probably disagree with this. When I I do think it was a red card, but admittedly I did have to see the replay to go. Oh blimey, yeah, he has caught him really badly. Like because maybe it was because it was so, obviously it was because it was so early on is why it wasn't given. I I don't know. I don't even know if the ref was even looking directly at it because it was after six seconds and he was probably still look, looking at the centre circle. It was that quick. I don't know. I didn't really see the referee's position. Um, no, it's certainly I, the quickest red card ever, wouldn't it? But um, what but followed? Hilda, you, you, you said that you wouldn't. You didn't realise the severity of it until you saw it on a replay. If only there was some sort of video analysis available oh, yeah. with a TV on the side um, of the screen that the referee could have had a look at. They didn't even refer to it, they? No. Tom, if somebody did that to you in the first six six seconds, would you expect them to go? Or if you'd done it, yeah. would you expect Yeah, 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 of course, yeah. It's, it's, again, it's football, it's just so frustrating, you know. You, these sort of things, they change seasons, they change... They change patterns of games. They change. They change all kinds of things. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, it's naughty, isn't it? <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's. What's the point in having these uh, systems and processes, and then nobody checks it? Surely someone's looking at it and goes, "Hang on, ref, you need to see this." Yeah. Weekend. There was quite a Not few uh, decisions that I'm sure we'll come on to, but um, you know, from in terms of the the neutral. It was probably just as well it wasn't given because that yeah, first yeah. half was insane, wasn't it? By all accounts, um, I've got yeah. the highlight, and obviously disappointed that we kind of we touched on it last week. That I think we we're all in agreement that Manchester City are going to go on and win the league, and the manner of their win over Arsenal, and the fact that their closer challenges have now drawn, it, it's probably going to be um, quite a nice coastal. Uh, trip to to another title for Pep unfortunately but it was a crazy first half of football uh good and bad just had a, just had yeah, a thought fantastic about, goals just had a thought about the money thing if had he been sent off his suspension would that not have been whilst he was away at the Africa Cup of Nations so he wouldn't have missed any probably more not, games yeah there's FA Cup games in there there's yeah, I think there's a couple of FA Cup games this, in January as well. So, yeah, you probably wouldn't have missed. Wow. Who was the referee anyway? Anthony Taylor. Hmm. Well, he certainly bottled that. No question at all. But just yeah, but this is what I mean. Surely there's someone on the side who's looking at it, who's, who, you know, who says. Well, yeah, yeah that's, that's a point off the VAR, isn't it? There's usually an assessor, isn't there? I, I, I mean, the stands keep well, yeah. an eye on it. But I don't know. But just going back quickly, Rick, to United, just before we finish that topic of conversation, whilst we're pretty all certain, to, you know, they're all pretty poor, was there was there any two or three players that you thought, you you know, were trying hard and were, were exempt from the criticism? I don't know if it came across on the TV, but when Ralph took Mason Greenwood off... Hmm who he had a quiet first half, but in the, up to that point in the second half, he'd been the only source of any hope. He'd had yeah. a, two or three decent runs, and the decision just got booed. 
in in the ground. It just went round the ground, and it was very noticeable that you know the crowd obviously thought it was the wrong decision, and I think it was. And he said after the game that it was either um, Mason or Cavani. Well, I'd have taken Cavani off because he he did nothing. Mm. He did absolutely nothing. So I mean, no. Apart from a few runs from Mason Greenwood, Sancho looked quite bright in the first half. Other than that, United just offered nothing. Mm. And possibly, you know, it might not be a bad thing. If you hit rock bottom in performance-wise, there's only one way to go. Well, that's true. That's true. Next topic of conversation. What's all this about Romelu Lukaku? Now, he had this so-called chattered interview in Sky Italy. Um, he's not happy. Well, you know, I, I can't quite see. Is he saying he wants to leave? Is that is that what he's trying to say? Um, I don't know if you've seen the news today, but it's he's he's since the apologising when um, it looks like he's going to be in the game um, in the squad against Spurs. But I, this doesn't um, condone it in any way. But I think he actually made these comments about two or three weeks ago when he was back yeah. in training but still wasn't starting but I don't think the interview was actually aired until Thursday last week or something which was two weeks on from when he originally made the comment and he had been apparently it hasn't been aired in full either because there was context around those yeah those that he made um, make them seem less severe yeah but he since obviously said that he wants to um you know, continued staying for the club and he's rectified his comments by saying that he did want to join Chelsea because, like you said, Rick, there was a con contextual uh, issue there where he made it seem like he was only joining Chelsea because he wasn't offered a new contract um, at Inter. But, um, well, that, you was know, the Chelsea, that was the reason, surely, wasn't it? Well, I mean, he's he's he did quote as well at the time saying that he had unfinished business, which is why he wanted to go back to Chelsea. But, you know, if he did end up going back to Inter, it probably wouldn't be too big a surprise because he has been a little bit of a journeyman um, in his career to date. But Chelsea didn't miss him too much, I didn't think, because I thought the game itself was was absolutely brilliant. And we've got to touch on the goal from Kovacic as well. Yeah, Ridiculous. So, I mean, we actually see the replay. He actually had both feet off the ground, didn't he? When it very much like the technique mm -hmm. Paolo Canio had when he scored yeah, that yeah. goal for a little bit, both feet yeah. off the ground that way. Mm -hmm. Salah's, Salah's goal was quite neat as well. Salah's goal was pretty neat. Yeah, well. it had everything, and both goalkeepers played really well as well. Uh, considering that Liverpool had Allison out, I thought Callagher did really well, and Mendy. Um, Made some really Monk good saves. Yeah, yeah. Do you see the picture of Mendy and uh, Mane on the plane on together? The plane. <laughs> <After> <laughs> know, Mendy mm. had said in an interview after the game that Mane should have been sent off, and then they were hugging each other on a plane. All mm. a bit strange. <laughs> well, it was rather, but Lukaku, you know, near another hundred million. I mean, to come round, you know, I think it just shows he's just a money grabber. He thought, well, try it on, see what happens. You know, you've only got to plant the little seed of doubt there. And suddenly. The thing is, <clears throat> I, think, I think the thing is, sometimes in football, your happiness levels can change quite dramatically and very quickly as well. Um, you know, like when you leave a club and obviously everything's going well, you join a club, everything seems to be going well, you have a nice pre season, 
You know, so the weather's nice, everything's hunky-dory. You get injured, things aren't quite going your way, you change system, you know, and then, you know, you're not playing so much. It's difficult to keep your mouth shut sometimes, you know. You sh- I know you have to because, you know, it's because of this type of thing that happens. But, you know, it sounds like he's been honest. He would like to go back to Inter one day. Um, he's probably, whilst I'm not saying he's down, um, you know, things aren't quite where he wants them to be at the moment. And it's easy to just voice a bit of frustration. And, you know, it's, I know it is a game and, it, you know, and it is a game and, you know, we'll take it seriously at times. But for these boys, you know, it's their, it's their day-to-day life as well as a game. And I just think sometimes they can get carried away in, in the heat of the moment and things can upset you more than they might in another world or certainly when you're later, when you grow up a bit in life. Because you've got to remember, whilst I'm not saying they're kids, he's still a young man, really, with limited life experience. I know I sort of bleat on that, bang that drum a little bit, but they genuinely are. Got no real life experience in, in them at all. Um, and, you know, things aren't quite going their way. And, you know, you get it when you're, even in, in my industry, you know, you get a chippy or a painter who one minute he's over the moon and next minute he finds out someone else is on a better price or earning a bit more than him, another job or another firm, and, and he's not happy anymore. Whereas a week ago, he was, he was happy as a pig in the proverbial. But, yeah, I just think it just gets highlighted a lot because, you know, it's... it's because of the media and, and the interviews that they go through, so I just sort of throw a bit of a, a, a variant on it. But I've, yeah, I think they can. Um, their emotions can get the better of them, and, and things can change pretty rapidly, happiness-wise, because you're in and out of the team. Well, that he was interviewed at the time when he was coming back from injury, and presumably in his own mind, he wasn't getting the opportunities to come back and play, get game time mm. that he thought. So he was spending more time on the bench, and he thought that he should have been starting or whatever and so you know that's that's going to affect his mindset at the time he was interviewed as well he's clearly frustrated with the with the lack of time he had on the field how, how much do you put down to thomas tuchel's um man management because he's a bit abrasive at times isn't he yeah he is yeah yeah, yeah. Care because um sorry tom that they've um a couple of journalists have been saying that this is what happens with Thomas Tuchel and why he hasn't necessarily lasted very long at too many clubs. Obviously, he had a spell at um, Dortmund and then went to PSG. It's because after a season or two, it then goes all a little bit of Mourinho and then he ends up falling out with somebody who's relatively high profile at the club and then he finds it difficult to find his way back. But Chelsea's are now in a unique situation because... He won the Champions League within the first six months. So, obviously, he's, he's treading on new territory now and he's actually got that proven record by having a trophy under his belt. So, it'll be interesting to see how that um, plays out because managers, as we've seen, like with, with Jose and Conte, that some of these managers have a pattern that seems to carry around with them wherever they go. So, and not only that, Abramovich seems to get bored with having the same manager after about three seasons anyway. So he's probably only got about 12 months left, regardless of what he wins. <laughs> seems, seems like he was angling for a, for a move to uh, team up with Conte again. I can't imagine any circumstance in life where anything would be that bad that you'd actually want to sign for Spurs. Things are going to be if that's your out route. Hmm. And do you, do you think Chelsea would do business with 
Abramovich would do business with Levy? I couldn't see that. <laughs> no. oh, I ain't got the money for that. Tottenham ain't, well, unless they sold King, obviously, but they might do a switch. You wouldn't have the two there together. You'd have, you'd have no, either. Do a switch. Hmm. Well... Let's just, uh, usually we Yeovil tend to get left to the end. Well, we've got a huge game, as far as Yeovil is concerned, on Saturday against um, AFC Bournemouth. Let's just talk about it a little bit. Um, two defeats on the trot to, to Gary Johnson and Torquay. Um, Hilda, you saw uh, certainly the, the second one. Um, what, what's your opinion first? I mean... If you listen to Darren Sarley, he thought they played okay in the first half and just defended badly at the end of the game. Is it as simple as that? I think it was as simple as that, to be quite honest. Um, it was one of those games where, certainly in the first half, um, both teams were, were doing okay, but up until the final third, and then that little bit of quality was missing. And, um, and that was reflected in it being nil-nil um, at half-time. It needed that little bit of quality. And then Jordan Barnett hit one of the sweetest strikes you'll ever see. If you haven't seen it, have a look on YouTube or the National League highlight show because, I mean, it was one of the best goals at Hewish Park for for quite some time. I mean, I don't know. He must have been 35 yards out plus and just hit it flush into the top corner. Um, that also, Dave, while you were yeah. you were commentating on it, I was I was listening to it. I was I was being a good three valleys chat and I was listening to your commentary. And one of the highlights of the weekend was hearing Thorpey talking you through the technique of how you hit a ball like that. <laughs> that was outstanding. I know, right? Like he hits <laughs> He must have done it all the time. But um, you just thought that, that was gonna be the the catalyst to sort of um, push over on and and win the game, but unfortunately, then Gary made a couple of substitutions. Um, seemed to really work for them. Holman um, came on; he got the winner. Um, and Armstrong came on; who was a young lad from um, on loan from QPR, and he looked an absolute unit. And he was causing all sorts of problems when when he came on. And unfortunately, for the young goalkeeper that's come in. Uh, also from QPR, uh, Dylan Barnes. Um, he got caught from the corner and they scored direct from the corner. And as Rick will probably tell you, I actually missed it because it, he took the corner quickly. And then mm. before I saw key fans were, were celebrating, but um, I've since seen it back and what Thorpey was saying. Direct from the, from the corner, went straight over the keeper's head. One of those things. And um, the second goal, they could have defended it a little bit better, possible offside as well. And I think the goalkeeper might have been disappointed um, with the second one as well. But he did hit it across him and it did sort of bounce into the far corner. Um, tight margins, aid, And unfortunately, they didn't get the right side this time because obviously they got a last-minute winner in the reverse um, on New Year's Day last year. But mm. uh, they did it... Well, look, you know, taking, you all, taking all that into consideration um, and taking into consideration the fact that AFC Bournemouth might well bring a slightly weakened side down because they're going to want to stay top of the championship and, and not, you know, get any unnecessary um, injuries or what have you. And, and, you know, they're going quite well as far as the championship's concerned. What are we, what, what's going to happen on Saturday? I don't necessarily buy into this um, line of thought that Bournemouth are going to rest everybody uh, some people have been suggesting that it might be almost closer to an under 23 side that come down because of Bournemouth's 
quest for the Premier League. But I don't see that. I, then there might be four or five changes possibly, but I still would have thought that there would be a relatively squ- strong squad um, that comes down to Hewish Park. So it's still going to be a very, obviously, difficult afternoon for um, for Yeovil. But then if they do pull it off, I still think it will be a relatively big scalp because I think that, um, as I say, Bournemouth will have quite a few, if not half, of their team that are relatively in and around the first-team squad. So uh, looking forward to it. What do you think, Hilda? You, uh, sorry, Rick, what do you think? I was just going to ask uh, Hilda, having seen uh, the players in question, what do you think about the decision with the goalkeeper? Bringing in an, in an on-loan keeper rather than sticking with the with the young lad who played in the, in the trophy game? So, I would have been, I think from a personal point of view, it would have been nice to see Max Evans in there. Obviously, we saw him, Rick, in that game against... Um, Didn't do a lot wrong, did he? Yeah, um, I think from Yeovil's perspective, they brought they brought Dylan Barnes in for for a month's loan. I think it is. Um, I think they've possibly done it, Rick, just for the fact that if anything happened to Max Evans, there's not there's nobody else. Yeah. Um, I think they just needed that extra bit of cover just in case. And I think if you're going to go out and go get a goalkeeper for a month loan, if you can get somebody like Dylan Barnes, who's had EFL experience and. I think he might even be the national goalkeeper for Jamaica now as well. He had a cap earlier on in the season. And I think if you've got an opportunity to bring someone in like that for a couple of games, they're probably going to do it. And yeah, sort of available. So um, I think Max Evans can find himself a little bit disappointed, but I would imagine he'll probably still play the Needham Market game um, in the FA Trophy in a couple of weeks. Be surprised if he didn't. Given, yeah, given in the working game, and it's it's that thing, isn't it, where you, your backup keeper plays the minor cup games. So he'd, he'd probably be surprised if he doesn't play in that one. Well, yeah, yeah, definitely. What does what does the actually over town player uh, think? Well, on the FA Cup, um, mm, yeah. Well, it's a, it's, a, it's a good day, isn't it? It takes the mind off of things. I mean. I know. I think you. I don't know if you came up with us, has uh, Adrian, but we played um, Bolton. We had a little cup run when I was at Yeovil, and we got to the third round, and we had Bolton. We had um, Colchester at home, smashed them. I think five one or five two. Yeah. <coughs> then we played. Well. Then we played Blackpool away on a on a rain day. The lady kick off about an hour. Absolute pissed it down, but because Sky cameras there, they, we played it. Beat them one 0 and then we had Bolton away. So. Yeah. Um, we went one nil up against Bolton away and ended up losing two one very late on. And again, they were a bit like Bournemouth are now. You know, it was like Sam Allardyce and all those boys there um, in the Championship, bouncing up and down between the Premier League. Um, and it's a great day. You know what I mean, it's, it gives you a chance to, you know, because a lot of the young lads at Yeovil will fancy themselves. So they look, they look, they've got a bit of a career ahead of them, and you know, it's a chance to prove a point against better players. Um, I, I agree with Hilda. I don't think Bournemouth will take it too lightly. Um, you know, they will want to go through. Um, and at the end of the day, if they are that much better, um, you know, they should be able to win at 70, 80% effort, really, to be honest. So, um, you know, it won't be like a full-on championship game for them. So, you know, they probably will play four or five or six of them at least and have a few others on the bench just in case. Um, yeah, hopefully it's a good day and... Hopefully it's, it's it's not an embarrassment. I suppose that's what you always go into these games thinking. Let's not get embarrassed. Um, so, so and hopefully we won't. 
Well, let's let's nail some colours to the mast. And what what are you saying then, Tom? Do you think you think you will be lucky to uh, come out of it uh, alive, as it were? Well, if if yeah, obviously, if if Bournemouth play a full strength team, then they should have far too much for Yeovil, um comfortably by three or four. I mean, when Yeovil were playing Yeat, um I found out late on that you could bet on it because I didn't think it was. Thought it was a bit late, low, low down the pyramid to, to have much of a bet on it, and then I literally found a, a, a betting app with the game on, and I tried to set an account up and plow some money into my account. So I tried to bet Yeovil to win by at least sort of two or three, and it was like four to one, five to one for them to win by more or two to three. I thought it was an absolute steal. I mean, the levels is it's just huge, um, and unfortunately, you know, if Bournemouth play their best team and go for it, then the level should be too big. But if they don't, then, you know, it could be close. Could get a draw, maybe get go back to their place. Uh, I mean, that's you, the best you thing really that's for. They've, um, they've abolished the replays. Um, yeah, of course they have. Which, yeah, um, you know, which is... Yeah. Not, it's not good for clubs at this level because, I mean, not only is it good for the fans <clears> and <throat> to get that, to make that opportunity to get a shot up at their place, but also... Yeah. Well, one for the players to have an opportunity to go back up there and do it all again, and obviously the financial implications. Financial, well. yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But but if on the other hand, the Oval managed to hang out and you know come hell or high water, they kept a clean sheet or managed to stay level, whichever whether it was a clean yeah. sheet or not. Send it off, you know. Then you've got a silly sending off or something. Yeah, yeah. Then you've got penalty kicks, and you know we all know what a lottery penalty kicks can be. The last one was an absolute yeah. shambles as. Darren Sol keeps remembering. Tell, tell us, tell us, not to stay so close to the goal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was saying it was the worst penalty shoot he'd ever seen in his life, apparently. So I mean, it was, he wasn't wrong. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. So you know, um, who's to say that? that, that I, I tell you what, I'm going to stick my neck out here and my what, reputation. What are you saying? I'm, I'm, I'm saying I think your reputation is that. Oh well, that you know that one. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm saying I think Yeovil could go through thanks to a penalty shootout. There you go, Rick. Five, go for it. Fifty to one. Uh, Fifty to one. Bournemouth should have too much. I mean, let's let's be honest. Bournemouth not that long ago were a pre- side. Premiership club, and they're, they're yeah, one of the favourites to return they, as a Premiership. Yeah, and they play good football. They're a good side. Guess what? Good side. Three three divisions between them. Yeah. They should have enough. I mean, it'd be, it would be a, be right up there in Yeovil's history if they managed to pull this one off. Yeah, agreed. Well, let's let's. But give... I should be watching it on the red button. Yeah, exactly. Be watching it on the red button and trying to listen to Hilda and Thorpe. Mm. I just hope it marries up like it did in the last round. Yeah, it doesn't usually. It's always about half a second out, isn't it? But yeah, it's going to be cold. It's going to be cold. It's going to be blowing a gal. Hmm. Still, at least you're indoors, Hilda. Leveller. Bit of a leveller. I've got my new uh, cardigan that I had for Christmas, so I'll be all right. I wonder wonder who gave you that. For the listeners. Love Island? For the the listeners. For the listeners, it's a a, a very large, oversized white cardigan. I actually thought you had a karate suit on at first. Oh, it's got, (laughs) and it's got four buttons down the front. (laughs) I thought you were going to be a jujitsu straight after. It's a lovely cardigan, Hilda. Who does it fit? <laughs> this they is a lovely. It. This they is a lovely. Size. So, um, I have to say, it 
um, maybe um, I do need to have a think about it because it was the first thing Thorpey noticed on me when I saw him on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. You're so, getting your money's worth out of it already, then. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you bought it from the Love Island shop then, did you? Or was it up against all the surfboards and things, just sort of sat there waiting for you to have it? Yeah, with my name on and everything on. Oh, well, <laughs> what's a man to say? Now, is it? Is come, it? With hey, free, hey, come with a free pair of slippers. <laughs> no, no slippers. The thing, the, the thing is, anyone who's uh, who's friends with Hilda on on Facebook or or sees him on Instagram or whatever will know he's very fond of dressing up. Oh, absolutely, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the the, the pajamas, for example. Yeah, the old pajamas—they are a killer, aren't they? A, does it come with a tie as well, a waist tie? Actually, I'm just looking. Um, no, I've got a picture here, but I don't expect you can see it. Where, where have I got a hold? Does it work you? well on the radio? Can you see that? <laughs> can you see that, boys? There we go. I've got one of those. Uh, we've all got one, I think. Um, what about this? Do the pundits think they're getting bigger than the players on the telly? Oh, 100%. 100%. Only, only Sky Sports, though, I think. For some reason, there's something about a Sky Sports studio on a Sunday afternoon, and when you, you've got, for some reason, um, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank always seems to find himself in the middle of a spat oh, somehow. He's, and he's I, don't know, I don't know how, but he seems to always be there when something happens, and he's just sat there smirking. But whether it's Sooness or Neville Carragher or... Um, one thing that was one thing that was strange about that one on um, on Sunday when Carragher was going off on one and Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank was doing his usual nonsense is is this very would you honestly have thought that Graham Sooners would have been the voice of reason in any debate anywhere yeah. ever ever yeah but he was he was the only one talking any sense of Jamie Carragher how he could try I know he's he's ex Liverpool and whatever but you you can't defend that Mane challenge. Certainly not to the extent that he was. He just made himself look a burke. Mm, he did, absolutely. But but as a whole, generally, I mean, they, they all seem to be getting so... You know, it's like when, when Gary Neville comes on, it's, well, here comes the Pope, you know, that he's bound to be right. Whatever he says, this is going to be gospel. And much as I like Gary Neville, and he's an ex-Red and all the rest of it, but, I mean, you know, hang on a minute. Let's, let's get this back to reason. You're only ex-players. you finished your career... And you're just commentating and getting paid a huge amount of money for doing it. So hey, you know. we said this, didn't we, about Roy Keane? And like, uh, you know, he's he's very, he's very good box office and good value when you watch him. But he he he's actually threatening people when it, when <laughs> when he comes out and and yeah. says some of the stuff that he says. And you think, how can you possibly get away with that? I mean, with this social media age now. Players know what are being said about them as well, and it makes such a difference. I think I think we're in a different era now, and pundits do have more influence, probably more than they've ever had. Well, I look forward though. to the day when when David De Gea meets up with Roy Keane when they happen to just <laughs> bunch it, bump into each other. Is he going to lump him there and then, or what? The thing is, do you do you remember when you finished playing, they would they would become pundits in between managerial jobs. Mm. But the way they're going now, they're throwing themselves so far down the being a personality line, 
it's going to be difficult for any of these folks to actually get back into the game. Yeah. After the things that they've said and the, the persona they created on the TV. I think, I think they're quickly realising that actually they're probably better off as a pundit because they yeah. can do it for years to come. No uh, hassle. With regular income. Yeah. And, you know, the, the chance of having any sustainable job in management in the Premiership at the moment is next to nothing, isn't it, really? Mm. That, so, might actually, that might explain why Roy Keane's been fairly absent over the Christmas period, because he's the one of them that is he's obviously desperate to get back into the game, into management, whatever. And he might have realised this, you know, that you're closing too many doors if you're too outspoken as a pundit. So I don't know, maybe I'm giving him too much credit, but that would certainly certainly make sense anyway, because he was more extreme as a pundit. And if you if you carry on like that, how are you going to have the respect of players when you come to manage him again? Mm. So he, must yeah, want he hasn't done it. He hasn't done a good job as a manager anywhere, has he? Rookie in fairness, folks, you might think he would. Thundered. He was all right at Sunderland first couple of years. Got him up. Yeah, but that's like a cash can, wasn't it? You know, that's like having a Bournemouth for a Fulham now in the Championship. You you're expected to get him up. They're the biggest club in there. Mm. Yeah. But look, lads, we're running out of time. We've got a few more minutes left, but not many. But a couple of quick things I wanted to bring in tonight. First of all, I see on uh, on social, uh, on uh, internet, Chelsea's wage bill has apparently reached £333 million a year. And it's higher than Liverpool's and Man United's. What do we think about that? I mean, the numbers in the, numbers in the game now is just unreal. I think, you know, just seeing some kind of transfers going through, I think Rangers of Everton have bought Rangers right back Patterson. Um, Arsenal are prepared to accept offers for Aubameyang. Um, funny, I heard, I heard this today, and I'll put this to you three guys. If someone's just paid, um, is it 100 million for 80% of Southampton? Is that is that the right? Yeah. 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 Um, I was listening to the radio when I went to my PCR this morning, and it, uh, uh, Simon Jordan was saying that... Crystal Palace, so obviously if that's 100,000, 100, sorry, 100 million for 80%, obviously it's 120 million for the whole club. Mm. Yeah. How much do you reckon Crystal Palace sold 20% of their club for? I don't know. Are you going to tell us? A lot less yeah. than 20 million. 90 million. So that, that puts what? Palace at 350 million. Sorry, four hundred and fifty million, mm-hmm. and and Southampton at one hundred and twenty. Well, it's not bad because Southampton have got a nice stadium, generally. Yeah, right in the middle of yeah. the town. Better stadium, you know. More fans. Yeah, yeah. I know it's not London, but I just even Simon Jordan was like, "Wow, I can't, I can't believe that's all it's worth." Southampton. Well, this Serbian guy is obviously a, a good. Uh, well, when you when you say and when you say that again, sorry, you just made me think of the numbers in football. When you say that the Chelsea's bill is three hundred and thirty million a year, well, that's more than Southampton's worth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as we're find, as uh, Manchester United are finding out now, when you've got players and you give them massive contracts, rather than protecting your investment because you've got players under contract, what you actually do is hamstring yourself when it comes to selling them on because they're not going to move for less yeah. money. Yeah. Mm. So yeah. what you've got is, is, a, is a player that you don't want, but you can't sell him unless you compensate yeah. his wages when he moves to the next club. So yeah. it's, it's bizarre. 
it's absolutely bizarre the way it's going at the moment. Yeah. Like you said, it's it's the thing is I know Chelsea that's that's probably for what, like about 140 players or something like that, isn't it? I bet that it's just something ridiculous. It's right like across that. the board, isn't it? It's not just yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, build a youth team and all sorts, but but still. But I mean, that, they said in the article, of course, that it, you know, you've got to take into account that he did win the Champions League that season. This was for last season. So, you know, that, that obviously uh, what, meant there was a lot of bonuses. Yeah. Uh, you know. okay. But even so, it's still yeah. it's still pretty pretty amazing, really, isn't it? So, um, yeah, know. but in fairness, the bonuses also come in along with the extra money for getting through each round. Do you yeah. know what I mean? So you get a lot more money like that, don't you, as well? So, all right, you are going to give bonuses out, but you also get more money the further in the tournament you progress. Do you reckon that's... Uh, thing, thing with bonuses is, I think one of the best bonuses I heard recently was uh, when United signed Anthony Martial. There's a clause in it, should he win the Ballon d'Or, <laughs> United have to pay a few more quid. So I, I think that's quite safe, though. Yeah. Here's one for you. Here, here's one for you. I don't, it's, I don't know if you even know this, but how much do you reckon bonus we got per player for winning the FA Trophy? Go on, then tell us. 500 quid. Well, I obviously uh, thought I wasn't going to be playing, so I'd given up on it, thinking I was injured and carry asked me to be sub. Anyway, I think from then we got about quid each. How much? Hello? I broke up. So what get, get broke up. Yeah, how much <laughs> you get? I think it's about 1,100 quid each. 1,100? Oh. Yeah. See, I, I'm sure you said a quid each for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds no, a bit about more like Yeovil. We were, yeah, we, were going to, um, we, were, we were going to Falaraki on a lad's holiday, literally on the on the on the sun on the on the on the Monday or something. Literally, literally two two or three days later, anyway, the Tuesday, whatever it was. And Chris Giles wasn't going to come. Um, and his dad was like, "Oh, go on, it'd be making the man of you. Go on, this lad's holiday and all that." And because we'd um, got a bonus, and I wasn't expecting it because I thought I wasn't going to be involved, I kept saying to Giles, "Look, mate, we'll look after you. Don't worry. Don't worry about bringing spending money because he." He, he hadn't played as many games in it, so he didn't get a massive bonus. But, yeah, so we were all sort of trying to look after him a little bit and buy him drinks and things so that he would come. Well, lads, I'm sorry to cut you off midstream. We've only got 30 seconds left, so thank you very much for joining us, everybody. Join us again about half past... What, what time is it? Half past five? Hilda on Saturday? Quarter to six. Oh, quarter, quarter to six. six. For the FA Cup, we're mm. going to have a full match commentary for you. And uh, continue having a great new year. And we'll see you again next week. Thank you very much for joining us. Good night. Happy New Year.